Welcome to Microbes at Work, a podcast from JGL Solutions and your one-stop shop to learn everything you need to know about microorganisms in the oil field. You'll hear about the fundamentals and benefits of our process from people in the field and in the office as we lead the way for microbial solutions. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Microbes at Work, a JGL Solutions podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on this first episode of the show. We appreciate you joining us and listening along. As you're doing so, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so you can get notifications as we drop new episodes of the show. You can also go to our website, jglsolutions.com. Again, jglsolutions.com. For more information on our solutions, services, and of course, episodes of Microbes at Work. And for our first episode, we're going to be keeping things, at least from a content perspective, in-house. Getting our audience an understanding of who we are as a company, what we strive for, how we compare to other players in the space, and what industry needs are shaping our solutions the most as we go into 2021. To do this, we're going to be sitting down with some leadership at the company who can speak to JGL's growth, as well as its inception, its initial values, and what's in store for the company. So we're joined today by founder and CEO of JGL Solutions, Bill Lance. Bill, so great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. It's a real pleasure getting to chat today. Thanks again for joining us. So let's go ahead and jump right in. I want to start by uh, tracking your history as a founder, Bill. Uh, And for context for our listening audience, JGL as a company works to supply the oil industry with microbial solutions that are tailor-made to very different and unique situations within the industry. So, Bill, the company was founded in 2006, but I know that prior to that, you spent years, and today that adds up to 32 years of experience in and around the industry, Uh, but you've spent several years before founding the company working with microbes in oil fields as a drillings fluid engineer, which gives you a lot of hands-on experience experience in this space. So what drew you to this intersection of uh, science and energy solutions for your career in the first place? Well, I was uh, the drilling in fluids engineer was prior to the microbes. The microbes was uh, my father actually started a company with the microbes and, and what we had and I started with him and what we had found microbiologists that worked in the restaurant and wastewater industry you know they like grease traps and things like that and grease is kind of a form of oil and just with our experience in the oil field working with the phd we we knew that if it could break grease down it could probably break one of the common problems in the oil field which is paraffin which is a waxy buildup of oil and uh, you know kind of grew from that and then started identifying microbes that help with problems in the oil field like scale and corrosion and things like that and it kind of grew from there and that was back all the way back in 1988 when that began and if we pull from your time uh working in the oil fields as an engineer how did that hands-on experience shape your knowledge of 
microbe Maybe more specifically, why are microbes applied in the oil field and what problems do they address? And how did your hands-on time in the field get you acquainted with all of that? Well, not, not a whole lot because that was more on the drilling side that I was in. It's sure. really just learning what the problems were in the oil field. And, you know, they do have a lot of them that mostly they use chemicals to solve. And so once you know what these are, these problems, and you know that there's microbes that actually do the same thing chemicals do, only actually better and can do more than chemicals do, it's really kind of amazing. So being able to apply them uh, at critical spots in you know a, a production process and kind of knowing what you're doing, and which we did learn a lot back in the early days on how to apply them, which is a lot of it. So that's kind of a good question you asked. So after years in the industry, especially if you didn't have too much hands-on time working with microbes in the field, why did you pivot to launching your own company and expanding microbial solutions? What was the motivation there and why go in that direction with your solution you know, rather than add um, you know, another chemical company to the list? Yeah, you know, my father actually passed away in 2005 and the leadership at the microbe company at that point you know, it was going kind of going in a different direction that I wanted to go. And uh, actually started with my brother and we we began this company in 2006 and kind of had some thoughts, at least I did through my experience of better ways to apply it. That's a little different than what the original microbe company did. So uh, we've we've been doing that since and it's worked out real well for us. Now, what is it about microbial solutions that you felt was not only a worthy investment for the industry, but also something that could be a successful business to you know, put all your chips into, basically? You know, that's a, a good way to put it, because I definitely put all the chips in. So, uh, you know, it, it's really just remarkable of what they can do. In fact, it's so remarkable, it's hard to get people to believe it, you know, and, uh, you know, this, since the start of our company, we haven't really ever done any type of marketing. It's all been word of mouth. So we kind of had to earn our way. So at the very beginning, you start small and you have success and you grow from that success to the next, you know, and it's at first microbes were basically considered snake oil you know, to uh, operators. And it, it was hard finding people progressive enough to try them. And then once you did, they saw the results. So it's and more so in the fields, different uh, types of thought, uh, field personnel and, you know, like an engineer or a, a operations manager up in the executive office. Field guys are very leery of things and this seemed like snake oil to them. So that's been a long, hard sell. And it's now microbes have become accepted in the oil industry. And even more so, each year we go along, it, it just becomes a little more mainstream. And as it does, people see what they can do. And, you know, they're going to want to get on board. So you mentioned a few times that the applications are very unique and that 
there's just such a wide array of solutions that you know, microbes meet in the oil industry. Can you give us some examples of what those interesting applications are and uh, some ways that it is so uh, varied and dynamic of a solution? Sure. You know, just for instance, with paraffin, you know, a common problem in producing wells, uh, paraffin is just a high carbon chain of oil that becomes a waxy buildup and plugs the well up and, and gets very expensive to either treat chemically and or strip and pull wells. The, the cost can get really, really high. So if you can prevent that from happening, you know, that's a good thing. And you can lower your, your operating expenses a lot. And, you know, the microbes actually take the high carbon chain of oil, which is paraffin, and break it down to a low carbon chain, which is good oil. And when it does that, unlike chemical, which is kind of diluting it, trying to get it into a liquid state where they can get it out, but you never really did anything to the paraffin, our microbes actually change paraffin to oil. And you just, it just eliminates the problem altogether. So that's a, that's a big function that nobody realizes or it's hard for people to understand, but it works so much better than, you know, conventional hot oiling or, or having to strip and steam and all that. Another example might be scale, you know, when the, you know, chemical companies generally use uh, scale inhibitors to prevent scale from forming which our microbes are very good at doing that. In fact, uh, because we have so many cells per milliliter of fluid, which is roughly around a million cells per milliliter of fluid at all times, they're always, if you would, no better term, full strength working on that problem. Another thing they do that chemicals don't is break down existing scale. You know, and it's groups of microbes we blend together for any one application that do several different things that separates us from chemicals and conventional methods. Perfect. I appreciate that insight. So, again, you founded the company in 2006, uh, and you had mentioned that the company that you were with was moving in a direction that you weren't too excited about, and you wanted to uh, craft not only a direction for yourself, but also something different for the uh, microbe solutions side of the industry. Uh, without, you know, sharing what you don't want to share, or, you know, regardless there, can you just give us some more context on what you noticed was lacking or inefficient about some of the ways that microbes were being used in the field in the early 2000s, or just something that you saw that you wanted to add your own hand to that you think could have improved about the solutions back in the early thousands? Give us your thoughts. Yeah, you know, probably the main thing, I mean, that was a good company. And it's not that they were doing anything wrong. I really think that uh, just their business model restricted them on the one big things, the amount of microbes that they use per treatment, where we go with substantially larger amount, which is does cost us more. But what, what I knew from that is the results would be so much better uh, for a variety of reasons, probably won't get into, but... Uh, they were kind of limited. I think the way they were structured for them to try to to go to a higher volume wasn't feasible uh, without rearranging their whole company. And I felt like since we started that way, uh, we could make it work that way. And we have. We probably don't have the profit margin they have, but we 
have a lot more successes and you know and where we've went head to head we've won every time competing just because our we have a lot better effect you know we've learned uh, as we've went along you know one of the things about microbes i'd mentioned them breaking down scale you know and solids for that matter uh, hydrocarbons and such one of the big obstacles we had to overcome was going through what I call a cleanup phase of any site. You know, when you get in a well bore that's been hot oiled over the years, heavy ends fall out and causes skin damage down in the well bore and at the perves. And over time that accumulates and plugs the well. You know, the microbes will go down there and start breaking that down. And as they're doing cleaning it up, sometimes things look worse before they get better. Even in tanks, like a disposal, you have bottoms, rag layers in there that we break down and remove. During that removal process, it's a, it's a phase, a period of time that things might get a little worse before they get better. So when we first uh, were encountering all this, we didn't really have predictions on it. And so when we were dealing with the field personnel all they knew is well it was doing this before you started now it's worse and they would run you off and uh, when really the microbes were doing exactly what they should be doing it's just we didn't realize the speed and timing of all of it so the water flood story you're talking about was really two different sites one was a was a actual water flood up in uh, you know probably 300 miles from this disposal site, two different things we were treating, but the, due to the actions and, and what we learned from both sites, pretty much at the same time, because they both started, our program started about the same time. Uh, one on the disposal end, they had a bunch of scale buildup in their uh, injection lines. And this operator even cut the pipe so we could see it prior to uh, us treating that system. And it had a lot of buildup. In fact, the inner diameter of the pipe, which is roughly about two inches, was was scaled up down to about an inch of hard scale, just like hard as a table. And then they started us on, after we saw that, uh, they started us on the uh, system. Meanwhile, at the water flood 300 miles away, this was oil-coated iron sulfide with calcium carbonate, had that water coming out of the, suction tank just black as a kettle so when you're you're trying to get this water clean there's a little clean up there too now they cleaned the tanks out before we started so it it made the water clean up a lot quicker because we didn't have to deal with as much cleanup and so we had the water it looked like ozarka drinking water coming out of there our millipores were running great they had filters low micron filters on each injector that prior to us getting on it they were uh, changing the filters about once a week. After we had, oh, probably in the initial 60 to 90 days, that went to about once every six weeks, which is a huge difference in water quality. They were as pleased as punch. So after about a year and a half on both sites, all of a sudden on this water flood where they were changing filters once every uh, six weeks, it went to about five times a day. And, uh, you know, we're running over to, you know, we, we can run tests that give water quality, kind of tell you where you're at. 
and coming out of the tank, they're still looking real good. I mean, it's excellent, clear, clear water. You know, didn't know, we're trying to figure that out. Uh, meanwhile, on this other site, they happened to cut the, they wanted to see where the flow lines were after a year and a half or the injection lines. So they cut that open. And when we looked in there, the probably inch hard thick scale that we started with was down to about an eighth of an inch in thickness in a peanut butter consistency. So we know from that right there, it kind of gave us an idea of a time frame of how, you know, the microbes work, which are kind of slow on removing stuff, but they but they continue to do it. And what we found out is once they get down to a certain thickness, they're able to get behind the deposit and they can release larger, you know, sections of it. So what we found out happened over in the water flood, the same thing was occurring. They had injection lines that hadn't been cleaned in 30 years and our microbes had been remediating the solids out of them. So it had worked its way down again, I'm sure like this, this injection line that we were looking at over 300 miles away and started getting behind that buildup. And once it did, it was releasing it, plugging their filters. So once we realized what was going on, we had them pig the lines, which, you know, they were able to, uh, you know, put a pig in there and just, and it just blew all that stuff that we had softened all the way up and got down to really thin margins. And uh, once they did that, we went back and then I think their filter changes once once about every eight weeks. So we, it did tell us a lot. It gave us an idea of a cleanup period and how long it takes or an estimate. Now, when we go into an operator, we can kind of tell them, you know, you're going to have better water, but there's a point where we may start releasing solids. It's a good thing. It's just know that it's coming. And, and then when you can kind of predict that, you don't get run off. And they realize it's a good thing, you know, which is one of the downfalls of, chemicals that they leave a lot of solids like that where the microbes we actually not only prevent it but we remove what's existing so we're basically cleaning up the mess that's left and once we get it clean we keep it clean so i guess that was the big thing we learned it was a big really big deal for us as a company we really started growing a lot quicker once we uh, were able to communicate that All right, Bill, we'll get back into uh, some of the specific solutions uh, in the market today and how microbes stack up. But with all of this in mind, as it was informing the start of your company and you were taking some of these deficiencies you saw in the industry and uh, wanting to give your own shot at developing a robust microbial solution for oil fields, how did you define your values and mission as a company with not only regards to the efficacy of your products, but also your company culture and broader goals as an organization? Right. The good thing is we knew our product was extraordinary. So it wasn't so much about that as it was about service, you know, and just being uh, truthful and honest, you know, and that's that's probably the big thing is to we always tried to maintain that integrity and you know if you're if you're working hard for the operator and they see that you're you're caring about um, you know what's happening with them not just trying to sell your product or your service 
you know, it makes a big difference to them and they'll let you get through those cleanup periods that before they might run you off because they know you've got their interest in, in heart. And once they, once they realize that about us, you know, they like us. It's why we're on systems like, you know, we've been on a group of about a hundred disposals since 2007, still, still doing, it's a great case history of what all we did there, but, it's just a testament that we must be doing something right because, you know, I was talking with a gentleman that works for a chemical company and he said, yeah, you know, they run these chemical com- companies off every three years just because, you know, and, and uh, a lot of times you'll see that companies keep changing chemical companies. But, you know, if you can stay with that long, you know, there's another company we do a bunch of water floods for that we've been on since 2007. And uh, again, it's the same thing. And and that's what we've always strived to do and, and to be and, and place a lot of value on. I love just how confident uh, you were in your product from the early days. And I think a major reason for that confidence had to do with your understanding of microbial solutions as compared to more typical conventional solutions that were being used on oil fields, which were often chemical-based. So can you explain for us in a little more detail how microbes differ from chemical solutions and uh, how they fit into uh, day-to-day operations? Yeah, you know, chemicals are... They're, they're basically just that, usually a liquid chemical that it's designed for one specific application. So, for instance, if you had a water disposal that had oil carryover, it had calcium carbonate scale, it had calcium sulfate scale, and maybe even barium sulfate, it had a, a bad emulsion problem that's with a bunch of solids tied up in the system with iron sulfide, say you have to have a chemical for each one of those. And what ends up happening is to get the right parts per million, which is another big deal with chemical, if you don't have enough parts per million, the correct amount, it's not going to work. And in order to get that, it's it's not cost effective. So what you'll find is the chemicals will try to do it with less to get the bid, and then hopefully they can come back in later and increase it you know, to actually make it work, which they'd have probably never got the bid if the operator knew it was that cost it was that cost. You know, the microbes, what's good about those is we can blend our different types that do all these different things and, you know, and even things that chemicals can't, like the breakdown of these solids. When we blend them, the cost to us isn't a whole lot more than just a single group of microbes because the microbes grow on their own. You know, they reproduce, and we're counting on that. When we go into a system, we're setting up a colony, whether that's down in the formation, whether that's up in a gun barrel tank in the injection system. We're setting our colonies up. We're putting billions in, you know, sometimes every 30 days, sometimes once a week, whatever the situation calls for based off analysis and site evaluation. We're setting that up and, and we're counting on them to, to grow and to colonize. And once they do that, you know, we're maintaining around a million cells per milliliter of fluid at all times. And you have this certain blend in there addressing all these different products. 
the cost's not a whole lot different for one than it is five different things you're addressing. So we can we can beat them not only on performance, but a lot of times on the economic side of it. And just for a little clarification, when you do see microbes integrated to oil fields, do microbes completely replace more conventional chemical solutions or do they end up uh, coexisting? Which of those two and why? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, most of the time we replace it. In fact, probably 95%. There's very few and there are some applications that we don't do. For instance, scavenge H2S gas. We don't really have microbes that do that. Now, what we do have is most of the H2S gas is caused from SRBs, sulfate-reducing bacteria. And we do have microbes that that basically crowd those bad bacteria out. We do a lot of uh, uh, treatments that are, that are strictly for SRBs. And, and we are, find we're more successful than chemical, which... All chemical tries to do is kill them. They use biocides that are, are in there, you know, to try to get rid of them. The problem with chemicals, they only go in the fluid as well as they disperse in it for one, dissolve in it, and they kind of they're restricted to wherever the fluid goes, they go, or it goes. The microbes, when we establish our colony, microbes are able to move on their own. So they can move out in places that a lot of chemical won't get. It's why the MEOR side of microbes, which is the microbially enhanced oil recovery, works so much better than a flood with a, you know, the, where you're trying to use a surfactant flood, for instance. They're using a surfactant chemical going into a reservoir trying to reduce interfacial tension to allow, you know, residual ore to be released. You know, and, and what's the problem with that is they're stuck wherever the water flow goes, they go. So they don't get in those tight, poor spaces that we do because our microbes move back into those. It's why we see good results. You know, the the operator I was telling you about that we do all the water floods and have been since 2007 is in a state that gives a substantial tax uh, credit if you're successful with your project. So in these, you know, they have to see a production response to get the tax credit. So everyone that we've been in since 2007 has seen this response and have received the tax credit. It's because they're very effective at what they do, which is a big edge over the chemicals. A lot of what I've heard you describe so far is uh, how JGL crafted solutions to uh, meet some very specific needs that you saw while working in uh, the broader energy industry. If you look at a broader timeline, so since the founding of the company to now, uh, and you pull in some of the different ways that JGL has continued to evolve its products, expand its offerings, how have the various unique circumstances and situations that you see within the energy industry and across industries uh, inform and shape JGL's solutions? Basically, how has JGL continued to evolve its solutions to changing industry needs? That's a good question. And uh, one way I'll answer that is uh, just growing in some areas that one particular one we didn't realize was a big need, uh, but now we do knowing that we have products that will work perfect for it. And we think 
the application is going to be real good. One of those is fracks. You know, in the fracks, one of the big problems people have with fracks is groundwater contamination. And one of the big reasons for that is the toxic chemicals that are used in fracks. And the thing about our microbes is we can replace most of those toxic chemicals with environmentally friendly microbes. They're, you know, all of our microbe products are not even regulated by the EPA. That's how safe they are. So you can take a drum of them, dump it in a river on the ground. There's no cleanup required because they're not harmful at all. They're not toxic. They're not uh, carcinogenic. They're not harmful to plants, animals, uh, humans in any way. And so they're just completely safe. So what better way for a company that's uh, really concerned about the environment, you know, to use these in these fracks instead of these toxic chemicals. And uh, that's an area and a market that we really haven't been able to crack into. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But the biggest one is uh, it's a big ticket item. Uh, these frack companies sell chemicals too. So not only do they have their expertise with the frack, which is a you know, a difficult thing takes a lot of technology. They also sell chemicals with it. So when we come in, if I go into an engineer to sell, you know, our microbes in these fracks, and then they they like the idea and go to the frack company, the frack company, you know, tries to turn them away from it because it's going to cost their bottom line. But that's an area we're going to end up in. Another one is uh, BTEX contamination, which is basically hydrocarbons that are left in the soil, especially after fracks and drilling a well. You know, you, you get all these solids back on this flowback water, and they've got to do something with them. And there's a lot of BTEX in it, which is just a, you know, several things that the EPA looks at as harmful to the environment, and they want it removed, and they're having a hard time. I'm not sure there's any chemicals that can do it. If there is, they're way so expensive that you can't, you know, the parts per million they got to use. And really all they're doing is tying it up and, and you still got to do something with it to get rid of it. Our microbes can go in and actually break those uh, toxic um, chemicals that are, you know, caused from this flowback contamination down where you don't have to haul off this contaminated dirt or soil, it, it removes it out of it. That's a new one that we're working on a pilot right now. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. In our labs, it works great. Just applying it in a big field area, we're fixed to find out. So we think it's going to do real well. All right, let's go ahead and turn our conversation to the energy industry as a whole and some of the factors that are shaping future needs and solutions. Can you give us some more uh, context on some of those factors that are motivating the use of microbe solutions, um, you know, whether that is on the oil field uh, or otherwise? And that can be anything from uh, pushes for more sustainable practices to um, you know, a broader sort of bureaucratic oversight over said practices, environmental stewardship efforts. I mean, really anything that could be pushing microbe solutions and their use in the industry. Can you break down some of those factors and why we're seeing them now? Yeah, I, I think the sustainability is one that is becoming more important to companies. 
Not only because, you know, it used to be if you get caught, that's what they were worried about. Now you're actually getting companies that actually are more worried about what they might actually be doing to the environment. So uh, a products or products like ours are actually perfect for that. What people make the mistake, you know, in almost any kind of uh, product that's considered green or considered environmentally safe is that it's not as effective. What they're finding out with our microbes, it's more effective. It's uh, not only is it great for the environment, it's, it's much more effective than what they're using anyway. It's just hard for people to believe it. So really our growth has been from proving this out, case history by case history. And now that you got companies that are, that are actually looking for sustainability, you know, they'll, they'll probably really like it when they find out what we do. And as for marketing, people are going to know because it does take a long time, word of mouth. So if we can use some of the technology that's out there today to spread the word, then that ought to be good for us. As microbe solutions become more commonplace because of those factors you just broke down, how can engineers uh, use these solutions in more proactive ways, um, basically as part of their day-to-day operations so they can uh, predict processes, anticipate uh, their unique set of challenges and how microbe solutions are going to benefit them and their day-to-day work? Yeah, you know, probably the one of the ways is most of the time the uh, engineers, the field people are, are reactive. So they, they find they have a problem and they need it fixed. So, you know, that's what they're calling chemical companies out for and, and now us. What we're finding in a lot of companies, for instance, uh, one particular company, it's a pretty big company here in Dallas, is using us in all their saltwater disposals. And they what they did when we started, they had two little saltwater disposals that were nasty, dirty, had a lot of injectivity problems. They used this on them. After a year they see the huge improvement in the injectivity. And the only thing they did was start using us. They cut their chemicals off, used us solely, did nothing else. They realized that we not only helped the water quality, we cleaned up all of the you know, solids that were deposited in that system. And, and because their injectivity, which I think in that case, their pressures dropped significantly. And so they knew not only did we clean up up on surface, we cleaned up down hole, which allowed them to inject at a lower pressure and just everything started working better. So what they, they put us on bigger systems, but they also started when they got a new saltwater disposal in, brand new everything, they immediately had us on it. Before they, instead of reacting, they were proactive because they knew what we could do and they saw how, well, if we can just prevent it from happening altogether, why not? Let's get in there. Um, and, and that we're kind of seeing more too. we got another company that does producers the same way. You know, it's like you get a, you know, when you first get out to a uh, operator, they're wanting to find one. They're spending a lot of hot money, hot oiling, having to pull all the time and they put you on that. You straighten that out. Well, instead of letting one get to that point where you have that problem, when they drill a well, they just put us on it. 
and we start with a clean system. We keep it clean. They don't get the premature decline that they normally get due to, you know, scale or paraffin hydrocarbons building up downhole from for whatever reason. And it's just all around a better deal. So I hope that answers your question. But uh, I think those are the two best examples of what you're talking about. All right, Bill, only a few more questions before we wrap our first episode of the podcast. But let's go ahead and look to the future now. How do you foresee some of these factors evolving as we move into 2021, whether that's due to decreased supply and demand or new regulations or changes in capital investment, etc.? What are some of the changes you see in 2021 and how is JGL posed to respond to these potential shifts with your solutions? Yeah, you know, we've got a good local bank for some capital backing. And uh, I like them because they they actually seem to care about, you know, the local guy, you know. And so they're helping us on that end. And I think we're going to need them because I, I do think once the message gets out and you have all these factors that we've discussed, you know, with people even going for looking more on the sustainability side and realizing what the microbes can do. It's starting to become more accepted. It's really just a matter of getting the message out there and and the things we're doing, uh, you know, to promote that. I think you're going to see a lot of growth this year. You know, obviously the COVID oil price, uh, lockdowns, all that have, harm the oil industry, but it's really poised to come back. You know, and if we can keep some good leadership in the country, keep uh, our country number one in energy production, which I think is good for the country, you'll see us start to flourish. And uh, I'm excited about it. And finally, let's take your insights for crafting the company vision, and your evolution of product, as well as your vision for the future. Bring them all together into this last question here. How has JGL positioned itself within the industry over the years? And what is motivating your company's decisions moving forward as it both works to retain clients, expand reach, develop new products, etc.? Yeah, you know, the as far as retain clients, I think we've always had that, and I think that's just a you know result of our servant leader attitude, you know where we're you know we we on purpose have a servant attitude out because we we take each system as it's our own, you know there's a lot of pride in going in and cleaning up a system and making it run more efficiently. And, uh, you know, I, if, if I can't do that, I'm not happy no matter what. I, you know, I don't, I don't want uh, just revenue. You know, I want, I want that case history, and I want it to uh, help that company anywhere I can. Because these oil field companies, especially independents, they have a rough go at it. You know, it's really hard on them. These oil prices, one dollar a barrel makes a huge difference on whether they're having to lay people off, uh, whether they can even, uh, you know, make it. And so as that comes back, 
And uh, I think it will. We get this economy going. You know, as COVID shut the economy down, you don't use as much oil in every case. So once that gets rolling back, we think we're ready to really help a lot of companies to get the word out that, of what we are capable of. And we think the future looks bright. Well, I know I'll be looking forward to that bright future for JGL, and you know we're going to be breaking down more of those changes on further episodes of Microbes at Work. But till then, Bill, I think that does it for our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your insights on the future, the past, and the now of JGL, some of the motivations behind its inception, and how microbes as a solution are empowering uh, on-site work and otherwise for the broader uh, energy industry. Again, we've been chatting with Bill Lance, founder and CEO of JGL Solutions. Bill, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Hey, well, thank you. I thought those were very good questions you asked. Always glad to answer them. So anytime. And Bill, before we sign off, if folks want to find out more about uh, JGL's founding, any of your thought leadership, or just learn more about the company, where should we send them? Well, uh, probably to our website, and then uh, probably go from there, I would think, would be the, be the best place. All right, easy enough. Then everyone, thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. And like Bill said, make sure you're going to our website, jglsolutions.com for more information on our solutions and services and other pieces of JGL content like episodes of Microbes at Work, blogs, articles, videos, and more. And for more episodes of the podcast, make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of Microbes at Work.